0: If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Doc Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world
1: in terms of what they do. We kind of think about what kind of things we are like Erica to be able to do in the sense that how to make them more human and like in conversation. So there are two kind of things there where we thought about. So first, how to figure out when to laugh and what type of laugh to use. You've probably seen the headlines.
0: Researchers at Kyoto University have been teaching a robot how to laugh. Why are they doing this? What are some of the common misconceptions people have about this particular research project? And what's next? Dr. Devesh Lala is a postdoctoral research fellow at Kyoto University. A specialist in artificial intelligence, Devesh is a researcher on the Erato-Ishiguro Symbiotic Human-Robot Interaction Project. At the core of his research is a humanoid robot, the Erato-Intelligent Conversational Android, or Erica for short. And Devesh's work with Erica focuses on creating engaging conversation through gaze behavior, speech, and gesture. Debesh, before we get to talking about this interesting research you're doing, I would love to know, how did AI and working with robots first capture your imagination as the ways you really wanted to use your talents and creativity?
1: So what actually happened was I got a scholarship to come to Japan, actually, like way back over 10 years ago. And I decided to kind of, I thought it would be kind of interesting to do, you know, kind of computer science kind of stuff. I didn't think it would be AI, though. I thought it would be like, you know, some kind of business-related thing. You know, I had, my undergraduate was actually in some business, like a business degree, commerce degree. So going from that to like kind of more, I guess, science tech kind of stuff was like a bit of a jump. I think actually the biggest, the time where I was most like, oh, wow, I'm actually doing AI stuff was actually with Erica. So up till then I've just been making my own kind of little toy systems, kind of kind of things. But when we work with Erica, we you know you actually have to take into account you know the human aspect of it. Like there's a lot of things that people think about when they talk to robots. And if you're just doing toy programs, you don't really see people's reaction to how they use, you know, they use this use stuff. But with Erica, you get such a range of kind of different perspectives and like some people think this is great, and then some people think, oh, this is just, you know you're just putting plastic on some chatbot kind of thing. So I thought at that stage, yeah, like artificial intelligence, like when I think about intelligence, yeah, it's like a real kind of human quality that we kind of think about. And like we have it in you know animals as well. We have this same kind of thing, like what's the concept of intelligence? I mean, I think one of those things is, you know, like with Erica, we maybe can glimpse that kind of thing, like that things that intelligence that we created or like, you know how different people react to her as well so it's yeah i think i got really interested yeah actually when we started doing the erica project so before then i was just like you know you know we're doing tech stuff we're just making like engineering you know kind of things but with erica yeah i think it kind of bridges between i guess a system or a you know some technology that helps people do a task and a system that you know is actually kind of social so I think that kind of really encapsulates like kind of what intelligence is like. It's it's kind of a very social thing as well. I think that's kind of where I thought, you know, this is, this is actually getting really interesting. And then we started, you know, playing around with these systems, like Erica's system, and putting all these kind of little things that she can do, programming them. And then, yeah, it's kind of built up from there. And it's still going. Like, I think, yeah, there's a lot of things that we can still do with Erica. Yeah, that makes her, yeah, you know, that is really kind of ai but i would say that you know people's conception of ai is very kind of it's very high like when you talk about ai with people they imagine and especially with a humanoid robot like erica i think people imagine that you know oh, this robot can you know we're going to have a conversation with it and you know understands how i'm feeling and it's very smart and all these other things but really it's it's not at that level where you know we can do things But, you know, the movies, they have this conception of AI, which is very, very, very high. But I think with with the public perception and what we can actually do is is quite different. So we have to always kind of temper that. In a sense, I wouldn't say we've reached, you know, people talk about general AI and very human level AI, but we haven't reached that point yet. But, you know, there's ways that we can kind of, I wouldn't say trick people. We can seem like the robot is intelligent. And I think that's something that we have to kind of consider. Yeah, that is a very long answer to your question, but yeah, there's a lot of conceptual things when you talk about artificial intelligence and yeah, yeah, how I thought it was conceived as well. Yeah.
0: Interesting how differently we'll see a robot portrayed in any kind of a movie. How 9000 comes to mind first. That's and right. What was that like for you in the very early days of working with Erica? What do you remember best from those first days of the
1: Eric? <laughs> yeah. So it was very really interesting. So. We didn't actually make the robot, so we're collaborating with a couple of other groups from Osaka University, and they, they actually make the robot itself. So we don't actually make it; we make the conversational system for it. So it's so you know they bring the robot to us. And the first time you see, you're like, "Oh wow, this is very realistic, like really good." But we put it together, and we try and like there's a system which you can use to make it like run and make it talk, and it's like really good. Like you feel oh, okay. This is like you're talking to a human. Then, you, then, then the robot starts talking the first time. And then you think, oh, okay, it can't really do much, actually. Like, I remember our first conversational system, we didn't have any really kind of really good way of organizing the dialogue. So what I mean is that when we talk, like when humans talk, we know when to start talking. So like we have a conversation, so I stop talking, you start talking, you stop talking, I start talking. It's like a, you know, cycle. But you know, we didn't make the system to do that at the start. And it was one of the biggest things that we needed. And so what would happen is that we would say the human would say something and the robot would respond straight away with some other other thing that we programmed. And it didn't let you finish actually. So if you took pauses, you had to say everything you wanted in one kind of long, long sentence. And if you do, it's the only way you could get it to kind of, you know, feel like, you know, it's responding to. But if you took pauses, like even if you said something like, um, then the robot would start talking because it thinks you've stopped. It's recognized what you said and it thinks, okay, it's time for a response. I think that was one of the first times I was like, okay, so making a dialogue system is really, really hard work. Like, And it's different to you know a chatbot. So in a chatbot, you text, right? So you actually know when you press enter, that's your sentence. You've done it. You've written what you want your response to be. But when you talk, you can't do that. You can't be like, something 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 oh wait I'm still talking da, 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 da. and then now now you can respond so the robot has to actually know like when to respond, which is it sounds easy actually when you think about how humans talk we instinctually know like when the end of a sentence is or like when to start responding, and we can do this while the user is talking actually, but the robot doesn't actually know that and like one of the first yeah I'll tell you it's one of the first things I noticed like you have to have some kind of system where the ro- it's called turn taking, where the robot knows that it's the turn is finishing of the user, and that was the first kind of impression that I had. Like, there's a lot of things that we don't like. We have a very nice looking robot, but it doesn't actually do anything very good at the moment, and it's going to take a lot to actually build up, you know, the capabilities of the robot. So we have to start on very small things first, and then build up and build up and build up, and eventually you get something where. And now when I compare it to what we had, like it was like five years ago when we first started with Erica, it's completely different. Like the systems we have, the kind of things that Erica can do. Yeah. It's just, as you know, recently we've put in laughing. So five years ago, we wouldn't even think about this kind of thing. Like, like, you know, robot can't even talk properly. Like how are we going to get it to laugh or recognize laughter? But now we can kind of do it and think about how we can improve it. But, you know, the very first impression was Erica was, you know, very, you know, there's a big discrepancy between what she looks like, which is very realistic, and dialogue was, which is very, very poor at that stage. So we try and, you know, kind of level it up. So, you know, at least we can try and make get the impression that she looks very intelligent and she talks and she seems very intelligent as well. So,
0: What was one of the ways that you got her to realize that if you take a conversational pause, you're not through? How do you manage to get her conversation to be more realistic?
1: Okay, so w- when I created the system, I had to think about yeah, this kind of thing. Like, how does the system know when you've stopped talking? And if you say you, there's two ways you can do it, right? There's one easy way you can do it, and is that if the user stops talking for say two seconds, then you can assume okay, they're finished. But then you know you think about conversation. If I had to wait two seconds every time for you to stop talking, it would be very very slow and like very very. You have to wait, and it's very boring. So. I came up, well, I didn't come up with it, so I investigated how we could actually do this. And one way you can do it is that if you know what the user has said, so one thing that our lab does very well is actually speech recognition, Japanese speech recognition. So this means if you say something in a microphone, it's quite accurate, like what the user has actually said. So this means that, you know, we know what the user has said. So by analyzing what they say, we can actually build some machine learning model, which kind of predicts, okay, is this the end of a sentence or are they saying something like what's called a filler where you just be like, um, or something like that. So if it's, um, you give them a bit more time to speak. And if they ask a question, for example, if you can recognize a question, then, you know, you should start straight away responding because they've asked the question to you. So you don't want to wait for a while. You want to answer straight away. So you adjust the time of your pause based on what they say basically is how the model works. And for Japanese, it's a bit easier because in Japanese, at the end of, like, a question, you often say, like, this cut, this cut, or something cut. So you can kind of pick that up quite quickly. With English, probably you could do it as well. So, you know, if you say what and which at the start of your sentence, you maybe can assume that's a question. So we know, like, you know, when a question's coming, and we also can tell, for example, well, the, the model learned that, if you say something like eto, which in Japanese is a filler. So you say eto, it means you're thinking about what you're going to say. So it means you don't, A robot shouldn't actually say anything for a while. Or you give the user maybe three or four seconds to think of something to say because you don't want it to stop in the middle of that. So yeah, this is a very, very simple model which takes what you say and tries to guess whether or not this is the end of a sentence or you're thinking about something or you're in the middle of talking. And it works quite well, actually. Uh, we've seen. So you don't get many collisions where, you know, the user is talking, but the robot will just interrupt them. So this is bad. And you don't get much silences where, you know, you wait three or four seconds for the robot to speak. So we think it's a reasonably good balance at the moment. But you know, other people are doing other researchers are doing other things in that kind of area as well. So yeah, there's still you can still improve it. But this is I think this is one thing where I'm quite proud of that thing that we did, because it actually made the system a lot better than it was originally. As we talked about his current research, Devesh pointed out an important distinction. One thing I want to emphasize is that the laughter research is a small part of a whole. We have like a lot of other studies which have done a lot of different things like turn-taking and back-channeling and eye gaze and things like that. And all these things will build up over time, actually. So I kind of want to emphasize that, you know, Erica doesn't just do laughing. Like laughing is just one part of what we want to make her do. So if you think about Erica as just the laughing robot, maybe reconsider and think, yeah, it's a robot that can do laughs or something like that, or conversation robot that has this functionality that she can laugh. And we, yeah, of course, we're going to you know build up in the future and hopefully we get something which is really, you know, very pleasing to converse with in the sense of, yeah does really nice dialogue because we are a dialogue laboratory, but, you know, laughter is part of dialogue as well. Another thing is that, you know, Erica does stuff in Japanese, but I'm not Japanese. And it's not my native language. So I can't really contribute to things like language models. And these are quite complex for me. But, you know, things that I have contributed in this project are very, I wouldn't say non-linguistic, but, you know, not lexical in the sense that, you know, laughter is universal across cultures. Things like back-channeling is universal across cultures, turn-taking, the same thing. So there's always opportunities. Like, even if you don't know the language, you can still make a huge contribution to like the actual dialogue itself. I mean, that's one of the things I discovered actually, like even though I couldn't speak Japanese fluently, you can still, yeah, there still are so many other things that you can think about during conversation. And I think that's another thing I want to, if you're interested in doing like, you know, conversational, you know, AI and things like that, you don't just have to think about, you know, just the dialogue itself. That's maybe 50% of it. Other 50% is working out these other things that people don't really focus so much on. And only, I think only in that way you can make like a kind of full conversational, you know, robot or agent, something like that.
0: Devesh explained how the researchers first began looking at including laughter among Erica's capabilities. A couple of years ago,
1: what usually happens is that we have Erica as a robot and we kind of think about what kind of things we're like Erica to be able to do in the sense that how to make her more human and like in conversation. So we have all these videos actually of people talking with Erica. And we noticed that, you know, people laugh a lot actually. And when we do demonstrations with Erica, they'll actually laugh a lot, but Erica wouldn't do anything. So, and we thought this was quite weird or a bit unnatural, right? So even if something, okay. So if you imagine like um, you're in another country, you don't know the language and you have a conversation like say with you and maybe three other people and they're speaking in their own native language, but you don't know what they're talking about. And then they start laughing, right? So they'll, someone tells a joke, you don't know what they're talking about, but they'll start laughing. And I've thought about this and like, I personally, I would laugh as well, even though I have no idea what these people are talking about. It seems like a kind of natural thing to do where, you know, you join in laughter when people, you know, laugh themselves. Maybe it's like a social thing or empathetic thing, but you know, I think there's something that people do. Erica didn't do this. So then we got to thinking okay, how can we make Erica kind of replicate this kind of thing? And another thing is that we don't want her to laugh every single time you laugh. So there's another thing. So, one easy way to do it would be you just recognize when the user laughs. And there's actually a lot of good models that recognize when you laugh as opposed to just normal talking. So, you know, if we make Erica respond every time the user laughs, this is also be a natural, we don't laugh every single time. And we found during when we analyzed these videos that actually a lot of people laugh what I call solo laughs. So solo laughs is when, you know, I might not be actually saying anything actually interesting, but I'll just kind of laugh to fill time or, you know, just kind of break the ice kind of thing. And the other person is not actually obligated to respond with the laughter. It doesn't actually matter. So there are two kind of things there where we thought about. So first how to figure out when to laugh and what type of laugh to use. And so we came up with this idea of that if we can kind of recognize these two kind of recognize these two situations, then we can make Erica maybe do some shit and laugh with you. Even if she doesn't understand what you're laughing about, if she laughs with you, it might be okay. So you might think, ah, okay, she maybe she understood what I was talking about. You know, like if I tell a joke and I start laughing and then she laughs, you know, it feels good. Like, you know, you're I don't know, you feel like, you know, you've kind of produced some reaction, which is very nice for you and the robot to share with. So, yeah, from that thing two years ago, we kind of analyzed some video data. And from that data, we created some models. So models to recognize when you're laughing, recognize if you should laugh back. So there's an, an important thing. And the third one was to recognize what type of laugh. So the what type of laugh is whether the laugh is... We call it social and mirthful laughs. And this this is in other research. Some other people have recognized this. So social laugh is something like, if I talk about something that's not really that funny, like I can easily say, ah, the weather today, it's really hot. (laughs) And then this is like a social laugh. Like it's not supposed to be funny or anything, but people just do it because it's part of the conversation. Like we use it as kind of, you know, a very kind of social kind of thing. And then these tend to be quite quiet. So it's very small chuckles that we use to kind of smooth the conversation. And then the other one is mirthful laughter where, you know, maybe I did tell a joke. I just said something quite funny. And then you laugh, I laugh quite loud, like, ha ha ha. And we, we share like a very boisterous kind of laugh. And this is, yeah, this is the other thing that we have to recognize when to use these social laughs and when to use these boisterous laughs. So if I'm talking about the weather and I just do a chuckle, but you respond with a very ha 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 ha, very big laugh, it's going to sound really strange, right? So we had to make sure that these laughs, the the response laughs kind of matched what the initial laugh was. And that was kind of interesting as well. So I think if you look at the research, most of the laugh is actually social laughs. So if we have a conversation of maybe five minutes, maybe I'll laugh very boisterously, like once or twice, especially if you're a stranger or something, I've just met you for the first time. But social laughs are, yeah, quite more common and solo laughs are more common. So we had to recognize these kind of things, yeah. So that's kind of how the the shared laughter system evolved from like, you know, just considering what people do during conversation and then figuring out how we can, you know, recognize these patterns and then put that into the robot. So it it took quite a lot of work. So I think maybe two years or yeah, around two years from the initial concepts, we actually made something that can be put into Erica. So it was quite, yeah, we're quite pleased with it, actually, in the end, how it turned out.
0: Once you have the shared laughter system worked out, the laughs identified, what's the next step? What'd you do with Erica thereafter?
1: So we work out, first we recognize if the user laughs, then the next decision is if Erica should laugh. And if she should laugh, then you have to decide which kind of laugh the social or the mirthful laugh. So there's, yeah, there's two sets of laughs that you can do. And so at that point during the conversation, Erica, if the model says, okay, Erica, this is a situation where you can laugh, then she'll choose the laugh, the appropriate laugh. We have some kind of uh, text-to-speech system which allows her to laugh. So this is another thing that's quite different in our research. So a lot of, I notice a lot of conversational systems don't actually have this very, um, they say, very realistic laughter sound. So I don't, I don't see it much where robots actually laugh at themselves. Whereas for the Erica system, we actually pre-recorded a lot of laughs with like a voice actress. So we have maybe a hundred different types of laughs that come in. And some of them are really, really like, really unrealistic, like laughing for like 10 seconds straight, which is really strange. But then other ones are what we found are quite fit what we had. So very small small chuckles or something like that. So all you simply have to do is say at that point, choose the prayer laugh. Sorry, we programmed Erica to laugh and then she'll do the laugh. And then once that happens, she'll you know, do all the lip syncing and stuff herself. So, yeah, it was very, yeah, quite simple. Once you have the model in place, it's quite easy to integrate that with, with Erica.
0: What's telling her the difference between the social laugh and the mirthful laughs? of different sound or?
1: Yeah, so basically, yeah, that's right. So the inputs we use are only the laugh of the user, only the laugh. So, whatever the user laugh sounds like, we can kind of guess what the response laugh would be. And we found in our research that, you know, social laughter, you mostly, almost always, respond to social laughter. So if you recognize my laughter as a small chuckle, like I go, haha, it's not that loud. Maybe the pitch is not so um, different, for example. It's not that breathy. So this means, you know, this is probably a social laugh. So Erica thinks, okay, there's a social laugh, or the model thinks it's a social laugh. So Erica says, okay, I'm going to respond to the social laugh. And it's a good point you raise, actually. So I think... After we released this paper, we had a lot of kind of media articles written up about it. And a lot of headlines were actually along the lines of, this robot can understand your humor, or you can tell a joke and the robot will laugh with you, would laugh at it. But this is actually not true at all. And I don't want to oversell what we're doing here. So all the model is doing is recognizing when the user can laugh, laughs and then laughs back. It doesn't actually know what you're laughing about. So if I tell a joke to Eric and I don't laugh, she won't actually laugh. And this is a very, a very important point that I need to get across. Like, if we can make a robot that actually understands humor, it'd be very good, actually. When you consider how humor is, like, different across cultures, even generations, even amongst male and females. Humor is very, very subjective amongst many people. And making a universal kind of joke recognizer is, I think far out of our reach at the moment but you know if we can kind of not i wouldn't say simulate that but you know often what happens is that if you tell a joke you laugh yourself so maybe yeah this will happen quite kind of as a consequence of our model but it doesn't mean the model understands what you're talking about actually so this should be kind of very kind of emphasised, that we try and emphasize that actually in other interviews like our model is not You know, detecting your humor, detecting when you laugh and then laughing back at you, which could be a consequence of your humor, but it doesn't mean it fully understands what you're talking about. And a lot of robot systems are like this, actually. When you think of understanding, all they're doing is analyzing what you say and then finding patterns of what you say. They're not actually understanding fully what you're talking about. So this is something that, you know, I guess the public and, you know, non-researchers have to kind of understand as well
0: goes right back to what we were talking about before with the artificial intelligence, where we see it, we're not faking, but it looks as though she understands what we're saying. She that's, doesn't that's like right. catching a pattern. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I think in some kind of way, it's kind of your brain is kind of maybe wanting to think that, you know, this is like, I'm really having a conversation with a, you know, real intelligent thing. But yeah, it's I guess it's very, I would say maybe... Maybe philosophical like how do you define like whether the robot understands you or not because if you think it understands you and it's producing words that are understandable and you think are actually understanding does it actually matter that in internally it doesn't actually understand what you're talking about at all and this is very you know very kind of deep i guess now that you know language models are very are quite good actually we have to kind of think about this like if i say to a robot yeah, you know, I had a very nice meal to eat yesterday and the robot says, ah, oh, yeah, I know. I also like eating pasta or whatever. Like, you know the robot doesn't eat pasta. But does it matter? Like, am I going to tell the robot, like, ah, oh, yeah, but you don't eat pasta or whatever or something like that. Maybe, you know, you just feel kind of some empathy from the robot. Maybe it's enough for you. And I guess there has to be a conversation of, like, what should robots say or, like, should they should they know that they're a robot or should they try and act like a human or... Things like that. It's very, you know, kind of philosophically abstract in that sense. Yeah. And I think it's the same with the, the laughter thing. Like, you know, the robot isn't actually laughing at you or like it isn't actually laughing at what you say. It's doing something that humans have always done. Like shared laughter is something that humans have done for centuries, right? So it's kind of just, you know, kind of what was it, mimicking what they do. And if you think that, you know, it's being empathetic, is this actually good or bad? Like, you know, it's kind of fake empathy. And some people would say, you know, this fake empathy is quite bad because you're, it's kind of lying to the user. Whereas some other people say, well, it doesn't matter, you know, fake empathy is still empathy. And if it makes you feel, you know, kind of content or satisfied, then maybe it's no problem. But yeah, there's a lot of debates around this kind of thing now. And I think, you know, we have a humanoid robot. So it makes this debate very, kind of very salient for what we're trying to do as well. You know, if it's just like a very cute looking, you know, small robot that, you know, or even then the perception of what a humanoid robot can do compared to other, you know, for example, virtual characters or, you know, even Siri or Alexa or something like that. Uh, is quite different. So we have to kind of take that into account as well when we make things.
0: What has been one of your favorite experiences so far with Erica teaching her to laugh in this
1: particular research study? I think, honestly, I like it when we do demonstrations for people. So, you know like making the model and stuff is all good like it's fun and uh, you know you can run you can test it yourself i can laugh and see and then see that it reacts properly and this is always good because you know your system works but it's always nice thing like people users use erica or like do something with erica and then when it laughs back they're surprised or like oh wow like i didn't expect that to happen so that's always for me that's kind of the one of the favorite things like i like seeing that like people have different ideas of what will happen when they talk with a robot some people know that you know there's all this computers behind it and then they'll try and trick the robots and say something stupid and this is fun some other people they just love the experience of like talking with a like you know humanoid robot like wow it's looks real real and it doesn't matter what the robot says it's because it's novel it's always fun for them but so i like i like it when you know you don't expect the robot to share and laugh with you, actually. Like I don't, I don't think most people do. If, you, if we didn't say that it was going to happen, then most people wouldn't expect it. So when we first, at the very first stages, when you know we were just testing the system and doing demonstrations, there were some people who are actually like really surprised that the robot would laugh and and like, oh wow, this actually understands understands what I was talking about and laughed with me. That's great. Like you want to give people that kind of novel experience, I think. And this is what yeah that's been my favorite part like seeing these like people for the first time like kind of be surprised of like what we can do which is yeah we don't even tell them like what will happen and then they just you know experience it for themselves i think it's only like a couple of seconds but you can see it like in their face like they're kind of you know surprised and like you know their eyes light up a little bit like yeah this is actually smarter than i thought it was so that's always yeah I think that's always nice it's one of the things i like about it and i think one of the things about this project like if you can't if you can't demonstrate this to other people or like non-researchers then it's kind of a bit yeah, it gets a bit sad like you're just kind of doing research for the sake of it but the fact that you can show your kind of people and have them play with it or like talk to her is like very good i think
0: I don't get the impression that you're doing research for the sake of it. I get that you're going to be doing some applications here. What are some of the ways you're going to be using the laughing and the empathy that Erica has in the future, let's say five years from now?
1: Yeah. So, so one of the things we did, one of the actually applications we've been working on for a while is I call it active listening or attentive listening. So it's kind of like a user will talk and mostly talks and the robot is kind of like, I wouldn't say, yeah, you know, maybe like a counselor kind of thing. Not a counselor, but a listener. So Riaco would only maybe respond with like backtions, like, hmm ah, I see, or something like that. With very, very short responses. And we've been working on this for a while, actually. And one of the applications for that is, for example, in care homes or rest homes. So you have people who may be isolated, like socially isolated, like especially during COVID, right? Like, you know, people are inside and They can't go outdoors and like they got not much social contact with people. But if you can, you know, for example, give them that social contact, even whether it's a a robot or something like that, then maybe they'll feel, you know, a bit more like, you know, mentally fit or, you know, less lonely or something like that. So in the we hope to improve the system. So like, you know, laughter can do that as well. Like, so these elderly people, we actually did experiments where they'd come in and they'd talk about like some trip they've been on and, and what their grandkids are doing and things like that. And they could talk for a, while, like a long time, like five, 10 minutes. And all the robot is doing is, or Erica's is doing is saying like, hmm, oh, okay, ah, you ate pasta or something like that. And they, a lot of the elderly people actually enjoy doing this. Like they actually enjoy this kind of using Erica as maybe like a sounding board or, you know, just some, having some social contact with it. So, you know, if you put laughter in that as well, this kind of also increases like the empathy that you can produce from the robot. So hopefully in like you know 5 years we had the system quite good so you know we can introduce these like maybe not Erica maybe a small kind of robot would be fine people can talk to it like about their day or something and the robot can respond with like some you know ah that sounds great and I oh, so what are you going to do tomorrow or what do you think about this something like that and hopefully these kind of things you know will be part of a very nice system that people can use actually and i think yeah this kind of Robots for, like, social, these kind of social tasks, like social isolation and things, are quite good, I think. Yeah, and as you said, like, laughter comes definitely comes as part of that. I mean, one of the reasons, or why we thought it was a good idea to put that into that system.
0: What's next with the laughter model? Now that you have the social laugh and the mirthful laugh, is it going to be something like maybe she can recognise humour in some way, shape, or form? Yeah,
1: yeah. So this, yeah, so I think, to be honest, doing humour is... Is quite tricky so we can probably try and do it but we need to you know we need some real, like, good you know natural language processing models and stuff to do that it's possible but yeah so i think there's always room to improve actually what we've done so even in our original paper that we wrote i wouldn't say it's like a very accuracy of the model it isn't actually so high it works because it's quite good they what it do, uh in the sense that when it does do last it lasts At appropriate times which is very good but you know there's some times where like wouldn't laugh or like you know the recognition fails or you know she does maybe sometimes she does very loud laughs instead of small social laughs so we can always improve that model actually and one of the ways is that we need actually a lot of data for that so if you know like we have sessions that we collected maybe we have a couple of hundred sessions but even that isn't kind of enough like Examples of shared laughter, we only found, I think, uh, maybe a few hundred, actually. So to make a very good model, you need a lot of data. And like we're not kind of like Google or anything or Amazon. We can't grab that data just from anywhere. So to do that, we have to kind of think of different ways that we can improve the model, maybe by different features or something like that. One way is that, you know, if you have a video of the user while they're talking, you can recognize laughter, you know, by opening their mouth or like, you know, their their eyebrows raise or something like that. You can kind of predict what kind of laughter they're doing through that. And then they would make it kind of more accurate, I think. But then you had the issue of like, do you want to really want to video the user all the time? So even for that kind of stuff, you could probably make some kind of humor detection model, I think. But as I said, we need much more data to be able to make a humor model. So, you know, as I said before, humor is so subjective. And, you know, if you imagine like, things that, say, you know, my mother or, like, my grandmother would, love, would laugh at It's much different than what I would laugh at. And do you want Erica to, like, laugh to all these things or do you want Erica to have, like, some personality where she's, like, you know, kind of young and, you know, will laugh at, like, kind of very contemporary pop culture kind of stuff? Yeah, it's, at the moment, I wouldn't say that humor detection is one of our priorities at the moment, but it's definitely something that if somebody wants to kind of try and do it, then yeah, we'd be glad to like you know kind of integrate that into Erica as well, yeah. Because research is a collaboration, right? So like we can't do everything by ourselves. So I think we rely a lot on other kind of researchers and stuff to put in very nice models that we can always integrate into Erica ourselves.
0: Do I have it correct that you got your laugh models from a speed dating
1: situation? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's a good kind of debate about this actually, and people ask actually ask me like, why do you speed dating for it? So the main reason we did it initially was that we think of speed dating is the time you first meet someone. So you first meet somebody, you have no kind of initial impression of them. And also, like, you find a lot of mixed, mixed initiative conversation in there. So this means, you know, they, you know, there's this equal kind of talks. Hopefully, hopefully in a good speed date, there's equal talking between both people. So they both kind of converse. And the speed dating is actually the sessions that we recorded not from a automated system, actually. So there's a teleoperated system. So it means that some, there was to be a remote woman who would be playing the part of Erica. And when she talked, Erica would move her lips and do these other things. So it seemed like Erica was talking, but the voice was actually the teleoperated person. So yeah, we used that speed dating because it was a scenario where we had nice mixed initiative conversation. And yeah, during dating, you know, you, you want to give a good impression of people. So you want to do things like tell jokes and be a good conversationalist. So we wanted this kind of data because we want Erica to also be, you know, a good conversationalist as well. So that's why we came up with it. But another point with that is that, you know, that's kind of controversial to do. And like, I also recognize it as quite controversial because speed dating, we only had male people come in actually to do the speed dating. So, you know, this is very biased actually. Like, like Erica, her only speech was like a woman or actually one of four women actually the speed dating and all the participants were male. So you know there's a very biased data set here that you have where you know the laugh you recognize is yeah mostly male Um, and the responses you get are mostly female. And we don't really know what would happen if we we roll reverse. And unfortunately we can't change you know Erica's very visually she's a female. So we don't know what would happen if you know you have for example a male robot and you had female people come in and do speed dating. Maybe you'll find some different kind of very interesting things that you can do with that. So it means that our models are not strictly, they're not universal, actually. So even the laughing recognizer, like we can find other samples or data from other places, but the sessions we had are quite, you know, quite strictly biased towards this kind of scenario, which is, you know, makes for some interesting things. And, And this is another thing that we can improve in the future, right? Like we can get more female laughs and find more examples of females laughing and then males responding, for example. So this is another thing that we can do. But yeah, the speed dating thing is, it started off initially as, as I said, like as a way to collect very nice, rich data, but you know, this data is also biased. So we have to kind of balance that. Yeah,
0: I'm getting a sense of a lot of exciting things that you'll get to do in the future. Yeah. What do you remember best from the first time you heard Erica laugh successfully in the right contest?
1: It sounded quite good. I think someone was saying, I think someone was telling a joke or something and then they laughed and it was quite... Erica would laugh quite b- laugh back, and it was a very it was a very nice laugh in the sense that yeah, it fit with what the user said, and it was timed very nicely. So it happened like you know, kind of as the user just as the user stopped laughing as well. So it felt like you know, if you close your eyes and you didn't know that a robot was actually speaking, you'd think it was part of a real conversation. I would think, and then I thought, yeah, this is yeah, this is quite good. Like you know, if we can replicate this a lot, then you know, this feels like a real conversation. And I felt kind of, you know, in that moment, like you've been doing this for like over a year, making the model, collecting the data, programming it so it sounds good. And then when it clicks together, you know, there's just a good feeling of like, uh, yeah, like this actually sounds like a conversation, which is what I think, you know, we, the whole purpose of this project is we want things to sound like a real conversation you would have. And in that, you know, Three or four seconds. It sounded like a conversation you would have, like any human would have with each other. And that's where I think, yeah, you know, this is kind of yeah, this is why I want to do this kind of research. I think like it's just these small moments where you can kind of glimpse, like what's possible, or like or something you've made is has gone from like just a conception to, you know, just now it's you've actually designed it and done everything, and now it's kind of formulated in this very natural kind of five seconds of you know human like conversation yeah i don't know it's i guess for other like i don't know about other jobs so i guess in other jobs you have something similar though like i don't know if you're an author right you think of these specific like sentence that you wrote which you just thought of and when you read it you're like yeah that's actually the perfect thing at this time and i think it's like kind of the same kind of feeling like ah this was really good. That five seconds was really good. And I wanna I wanna feel that again kind of thing. So, you know, this is it's about all these moments or like, yeah, very small moments that you have, which I think is odd kind of sum up as yeah, being part of why you do something. Yeah. And yeah it happened to me and yeah, I guess it happens with other people as well.
0: Where can people get to see Erica and read your research papers? Where can they find the link?
1: Okay, so I think I have a web page. So most of my articles are published in like conferences and journals and stuff. So I think I have a web page. If you just search my name, actually, um, it'll show you the web page of all the papers that we've written on our lab's website as well. So we have yeah many papers with um, Erica um, doing various kind of things. So it's not just speed dating. At the moment, we're doing something with job interviews. So can the robot do a job interview with you? Yeah, attentive listening, things like that
0: you'll find the article to which DeVest referred on ResearchGate.net along with a number of other articles on artificial intelligence, many of them featuring Erica. What would you tell anybody else who's a robot enthusiast? What would you say to them about working with a robot and getting it to be realistic?
1: You have to study people. I think that's one of the things I learned. I learned, actually, one of the biggest things I learned. You have to study people. So before I... Did this kind of research, I just thought, ah, oh, okay, I'll just think of an idea. I just think of intuitively what I would do and then make it. But actually, when we st- <sighs> the best way to do it is like observe what people do. So this is assuming you want to make kind of a like, very human-like realistic robot. You have to observe what other people do, and then you have to think about like how you can replicate that. And usually you will have to actually collect data of humans interacting as well in order to understand what's going on. So I guess for me, robotics is not just about, I guess half of it is about, you know, programming and kind of the hard science kind of thing like um, engineering stuff. But the other half is actually kind of more, I'd say more humanistic or more anthropological, I guess, like trying to work out what humans do or what are the different behaviors that humans do that makes us kind of human in that sense. And then thinking about, you know, you know how you can replicate this. And it's quite hard, like, I don't come from, like, a humanities kind of background, so people have dedicated their lives to kind of this thing, like, conversational analysis, like, these little mini micro-behaviors that tell so much about, you know, a person's personality, or, like, the impression that you give someone, maybe these behaviors only take, like, half a second, but they're very, very important. And so when you're dealing with, like, if you want to make robots that kind of do this kind of thing, you have to kind of think about that kind of impression you give people as well. So, you know different people have different impressions of Erica, and it's basically because they're focusing on different things like some people focus on her dialogue, some people focus on what she looks like, some people kind of focus on what gesture she does and like how she's blinking or something like that it's It's very open of what people perceive of her, and I think there's a very social aspect that only comes that you only understand if you actually fully analyze how people interact with each other, and I think if you're going to start Doing this kind of research, you have to be aware that this is your first kind of step before you actually get into engineering this kind of stuff.
0: And finally, signature question for my podcast: If people only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from your research and your work with Erica?
1: I think, as I said before, like it's looking for these little slices or like little moments, and then thinking about you know. How this little moment can be kind of you know transformed in a way. You know, like I said, like I look at somebody, you know, doing shared laughter for like a couple of seconds and I think, ah, oh, this is really good. And like I think innovation is like finding these little small things and then trying to expand them. So, you know, even when I was first thinking about shared laughter, I didn't really think about laughter at all. But then I think I would just like watch some videos and thought, ah, oh, this point and this point is interesting, this point is interesting. And so how can we, you know, kind of from these little kind of things that no one really thinks about or no one has really studied before, how can we create something, which is like, you know, makes use of this. So yeah, I would say maybe, yeah, I think small is probably maybe the best way to put it, like small moments, small kind of interactions. When you're talking to someone, you just kind of look at something a little bit differently for like half a second. And what's the impression that I give now? Yeah, these small things can, I think, grow into something where, you know, you can be really creative and do a lot of, lot of things with it. So, yeah, it's a very woolly kind of answer, but yeah, I think, for me, it's about that, looking at small things. You yeah. Thank your time today. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You and
0: I have been listening to Dr. Dvesh Lala, JSPS postdoctoral fellow at Kyoto University and researcher for the Erato Ishiguro Symbiotic Human-Robot Interaction Project. You can see Debesh's research publications, including the article Can a Robot Laugh With You, on which he is one of three co authors on ResearchGate.net. And if you'd like to see Erica interact in social situations, including laughing, you'll find several videos of her on YouTube when you go to the search bar and type in Erica Robot, spelling her name E R I C A. that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.